Welcome to The Rebound, where we'll explore the issues facing supply chain managers as our industry gets back up and running in a post-COVID world. This podcast is hosted by Abe Eskenazi, CEO of the Association for Supply Chain Management, and Bob Troublecock, Editorial Director of Supply Chain Management Review. Remember that Abe and Bob welcome your comments. Now to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of The Rebound. It's good to be a CSCO. I'm Bob Troublecock. And I'm Abe Eskenazi. And joining us today is Kevin Burns. Kevin is a Dallas-based partner with On Partners, an executive recruiting firm. And he has extensive experience placing supply chain executives in new roles. Kevin, welcome. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Abe. Excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. Thanks for joining us. And this is really a great topic uh, and probably on the minds of, uh, you know, of all of our listeners wondering, you know, should they quit their job and go to greener pastures? <laughs> One of the things that ASCM does every year is a salary survey. We do one at Supply Chain Management Review as well. And in 2021, nearly 60% of my respondents reported a salary increase of 9% or more. Now, from what Kevin sees in the market, that's probably chump change. We all know that wages are going through the roof at the floor level. But for senior level executives like our listeners, it's also an incredibly dynamic market. And that's what we're going to talk about to Kevin today. So, Kevin, just describe the market for supply chain executives that you're seeing in your practice at a high level. What's happening? Bob, thanks for that. You know, it's an extremely hot market for supply chain leadership, and and we're really not seeing this let up anytime soon. Um, you know, as, as a practice here at Elm Partners, we're up 90% um, in supply chain and operations searches year over year. A lot of that has to do with COVID as COVID really brought, you know, supply chain front and center. You know, you guys, we have all seen labor shortages, capacity shortages, port congestion, you name it. Uh, But on top of that, we have both seen, you know, strong and weak leaders as well. Uh, Those who ran from the fire and and those who sort of shied away from it. So the market for supply chain talent has really never been hotter. And if I double click there and go a little bit deeper, Um, You know, when the pandemic broke out, we were talking with boards and CEOs around risk mitigation, how to plan for it, how to get better at global planning. Um, So, you know, even in 2020, we, you know, supply chain planning, now sometimes called supply chain management, was certainly one of our hottest roles. Um, You know, those who were planning experts who knew how to stand up global SNOP processes to address risk mitigation, address supply capacity. Uh, enhanced supply chain visibility, they were in the highest demand uh, and companies paid top dollar for it. So we saw that with a strong planning function over the last couple of years, some of this uh, supply chain risk was addressed the moment COVID broke out. And now Bob and Abe, you fast forward 18 months and, and some of the hottest roles are in transportation logistics. Uh, we're, we're seeing e-commerce is up significantly due to COVID. Companies are looking for people who not only know air and ocean, but also have experience sending up uh, middle and final mile capabilities. Um, so as more of our smaller clients, our e-commerce clients are, are moving away from FedEx and UPS, they are looking for more regional players. They are looking for skill sets uh, that have experience negotiating rates with regional players. So it's a really good time for supply chain talent. And uh, you know, from a candidate's perspective, just to kind of cl- conclude on that, it's never been hotter uh, from a candidate's perspective. It is a candidate's market. And and, and great talent is reaping top dollar for it. It's very common for top talent 
to get offers that are 20 to 25% higher uh, than what they are currently making. Kevin, you talked a little bit about the roles and responsibilities. Um, oftentimes for career paths for supply chain, we've often seen you know, different entry points and exit points for supply chain professionals. Uh, you can have a senior leadership in supply chain being finance or ops, or you can have senior VPs. We've always you know, indicated that the role of the chief supply chain officer sitting at the C-suite table was a critical role. Are those roles different as you're talking about the role responsibilities between a CSCO and a VP of supply chain, or are they starting to converge now? It's a good question, Abe, and, and I, I still think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of delta between what a CSCO does and what we're seeing as a VP SVP candidate does as well. I mean, I think both all of us would agree the CSCO title relatively new. We would say it's in it's relatively in the past five years. That is a a newish title, uh, retail CPG, 3PLs, at least that's what we're seeing, really paved the way here with this title. But more recently, actually, it's encouraging. More recently, more of our industrial clients, our B2B clients, uh, they are using this title as they are thinking about the future state and the future supply chain needs. It is true that most CSCOs will come up with deep supply chain expertise. Uh, that is almost a table stake. Um, but one of the interesting trends we are seeing out there, Abe, is that People in finance and people in IT are also starting to get the nod in the consideration for those roles. Um, the reason being, CSEOs, uh, the role is very strategic. Um, so these executives, these CSEOs, uh, what we're seeing in, in the demand for it, uh, they need to operate at a board level. Um, they need to understand the financial impact of the supply chain. They need to talk in terms of risk mitigation and P&L impact. But they also need to be up to speed on the latest technology and advanced planning tools on the market. So that's where we're starting to see the IT folks um, starting to uh, become more interesting. AI, machine learning, how that can possibly impact decision making, uh, where to store inventory, what carriers to use and what price. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that. On the other hand, um, you have the VP level two. And, and what we're seeing there is um, we are seeing a tremendous need across all functions at the VP level two. Here at On Partners, uh, VPs we have recently placed, as I mentioned before, are, are seeing 20 to 25% wage inflation, which is causing a lot of adjustments and compensations and titling within our existing clients. For instance, uh, pre-pandemic, the role that we'd go out for at a VP level was typically around 225 to 250,000 base salary, uh, that same role is commanding 275 to 300,000 uh, in today's market. Coupled with the fact that supply chain leaders are getting bombarded by recruiters, we are still seeing this trend that some VPs won't even get on the phone with us without a better understanding of compensation parameters out of the gates. Um, and they don't need to. Most of these A-plus talent VP levels, they are bringing multiple, multiple offers to the table. So even if we're reaching out to them, it is a competitive market uh, for sure. And then there's this triple down, a trickle down effect uh, to this too. So if companies are paying top dollar, and we're seeing this as well, companies are paying top dollar for attracting supply chain talent. They are often faced with situations uh, of leveling, leveling up their existing staff to keep them on par with new talent or risk losing them to a competitor. Uh, so it is creating a lot of chaos there in the supply chain organizations, uh, causing a lot of people to rethink how to retain and attract talent. You know, one of the topics that keeps coming up at the floor level is not just the challenge of recruiting and training, but retaining. Supply chain leaders have always been a little nomadic. 
Um, I, I had a call earlier today where I said to someone, oh, I can connect you with the uh, VP of supply chain at, it was a, a large retailer. And I looked online and that individual had been at that retailer for many years and was now, you know, in a different industry uh, and had gone in like 2020 or something. You know, I've, I've read that the tenure for a chief procurement officer is about three years. So given that they all are getting bombarded, uh, and you talked a little bit about how the professionals are responding, you know, are they going to become either A, more nomadic, and B, do you have any advice to the companies already employing the guy who's being, or gal, who's being uh, bombarded with offers on how to retain them? You know, what, what, what leads to retention in our space? Yeah, it's an excellent question, Bob. And, you know, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, um, from a candidate's perspective, even though they're in high demand, we are starting to see some candidate fatigue. Uh, so, so maybe there's some retention tactics there for sure. But um, the chief procurement officer would know it best. Uh, you know, they've been in high demand for the last 10 years. Chief procurement officers, that's a lucrative role. And, and typically for our clients, they come at us with a CPO need because they also know, they, they know it's in the first year, it's going to pay for itself. Uh, so both our Fortune 500 clients, as well as our private equity clients, um, that need is still there. Um, there's always this constant flux around centralization versus decentralization. Then you finally have some companies uh, catching up on the um, category management strategic sourcing initiative. So we have seen the CPO in, in high demand. Um, I think through this pandemic, uh, an, an, another characteristic has really emerged, and that's the, uh, the ability to create long-lasting relationships. CPOs, table stakes are transformational experience, bottom line results, but it's the great relationships and those who had great relationships through this pandemic, uh, especially on the CPO front, did well. Um, and for instance, one example, I mean, I have a Fortune 100 client right now. COVID was not too friendly to them. Uh, the CPO had a procurement. Uh, it was notorious for driving PPV and price concessions and, and percentages and, and what have you. And a lot of the Asia-based suppliers, um, you know, with the scarce capacity that they had, uh, they gave it to some of these smaller and medium-sized customers. And, and that was mostly based on the relationship. So I would say the CPO, yes, is in high demand. Relationships still do matter. And in terms of retention, I think what you're going to see here is, you know, it, it goes to your three-year year, year comments um, in terms of retention. CPOs are driven, at least what we're seeing, CPOs are driven by, um, by transformation and, and by moving the needle and by growth. And the three-year mark, I would say, you know, that's typically how long a transformation can take to get off the ground, to start seeing some rewards. And then when the CPO feels like there's no growth or transformation ahead or what's next, uh, when they don't know that, when that's unknown, um, then you start having CPOs return our call and, and open to exploring new opportunities. So from a retention standpoint, make sure you're checking in, make sure you're you know, challenging these CPOs. It's not always about size of spend. It is about complexity and scope um, in, in making sure there is a path forward. Uh, in one of those paths forward could be that chief supply chain officer. Kevin, really interesting when you're talking about retention. If we flip the coin over and we go to the recruitment side, are you seeing anything different in terms of recruiting? Obviously, compensation is critical, but some of the other you know, characteristics that you described in terms of being engaged in transformation, uh, the collaboration across the organization is a critical part 
of a you know CSEO's responsibility, as well as communicating across a you know a wide spectrum of time zones and cultures. Give me a sense. What are the what are the most successful companies doing right now to attract talent? Yeah, great question, Abe. And I and I think what we're seeing in this market is the big winners in this market are those who can excel at three things. And, and really, what I what I think this breaks down to is pay. Pay is still. Uh, really important. Um, geography and the flexibility, the remote working, that's two. Uh, so geographical uh, kind of flexibility and then speed. Uh, speed would be number three. I think for pay, just real quick there, organizations who are losing out, Abe, they, they are typically our larger customers. Uh, I'll define them as your Fortune 500 customers. Um, these organizations have pre-existing comp parameters we're seeing. They have strict salary bans and they are losing out on A-plus talent uh, only because the market has in, been inflated so much over the last couple of years. You know, they're still kind of stuck in their ways a little bit. They expect to bring in talent with their own compensation boundaries. What we're seeing in the market, um, candidates really have the upper hand here. So companies that are flexible in compensation or can get creative with total cash or longer-term equity, they're winning. Uh, these, these companies are typically your private equity or venture-backed companies they can sell the upside. They can sell the dream of a major cash windfall. Uh, it is still playing very well out there. Second, location matter. Clients that are you know, flexible on location are absolutely winning the war for talent in supply chains. Relocation has always been tough, but with the housing market the way it is, in supply chain talent being very effective working remote these past couple of years, what we're finding is relocation is, is even more of a non-starter uh, for top talent as it was pre-pandemic. Just to give you an example, I, I have a venture VC-backed company based in Austin, Texas. In Austin, Texas is absolutely a fantastic, great location to recruit to, but now good luck finding a house in Austin, Texas. Uh, we're seeing stories and hearing stories of multiple bids, houses going well over asking price. And this does factor into the equation of whether a candidate will take a role or not. And then finally, I mentioned speed. So you have to be fast in this market. And any advice I'd give to future clients of on partners or retained executive search firm, you have to move with a sense of urgency. It used to be common for all of us in this space to you know, bring a client four to five uh, rock stars or A plus talent and have a client down select to two and ultimately land on one. Now I'm advising all my clients to, you know, if you really find a person that you love, uh, you should sprint towards that candidate uh, because you never know whether he or she is going to be available in, in two weeks' time. And for example, I recently lost out on a great candidate, uh, Fortune 500 company. We were in discussions with for 60 plus days. Uh, he got an initial call uh, from a private equity firm nine days later. He was at offer stage and politely declined and moved on uh, from our opportunity. So Fortune 500, bigger clients, they have to move with a sense of urgency. They have to schedule candidates, you know, almost back to back, day to day. Uh, and I think that's what's winning in this market. So it's really about pay, geography, and, and speed, sense of urgency. Kevin, thanks for that. You talked a little earlier about the hot areas, meaning, you know, we started out with planning and uh, as we're all having shipping problems now, transportation experiences is one of the hot fields. I wondered, you know, for the listener who's thinking about whether they ought to dust off their resume, whether it's planning or transportation, what's the level of experience or years of experience? You know, if, if, if you're looking at a resume and saying, yep, I could present that to a, to a leading um, client of ours who's looking for 
you know, VP of supply chain. What should the uh, candidate bring to the table in experience? I think for at the VP level, I mean, it's 15 years of experience. Director, it's 10 plus years of experience. But, you know, as a, as a recruiter, I'm, I'm not so concerned with years of experience as much as I am with accomplishments. I mean, I think all of our clients are looking for how did he or she move the needle? What did he or she ultimately do? Or put another way, you know, what wouldn't have got accomplished had he or she not been there? And, and, and that's a question we're getting a lot. And, and it's a question we're, we're using in our screening calls uh, because we're really looking for accomplishments and moving the needle. And so are our clients. Um, our clients are really not interested in people who are, you know, maintainers. Uh, I would say people are, our clients are interested in more people that are, you know, have that fire in their belly and, and, and want to create a lasting impact. Bob, you mentioned uh, planning and transportation. Yes, those are absolutely our, our top two over the last couple of years. I would say within that, if you did the double click, people who have experience standing up a global SNOP process, and, and that is not an easy task, but you know, someone who understands what it takes to really influence business unit leaders, presidents, PL leaders in, in, in launching an SNOP process. That is going to be in extremely high demand. You have all these advanced planning tools like Connexus, Rapid Response, Blue Yonder. Uh, if you have that on your resume, that is excellent. Um, that's going to be in high demand. And then just with e-commerce, going back to transportation, e-commerce, what we're seeing with our smaller e-commerce retailers is they are starting to get fed up with maybe the bigger carriers like the FedExes and UPSs. They are expecting bigger or better prices, better service. So what you're seeing is some market share coming away from those going into the regional players, the final miles, the middle miles. Um, if you have that experience, if you actually have the experience negotiating contracts and negotiating rates and standing up regional models, that is in absolutely high demand uh, right now too. So the market is really hot for all of those, uh, all, all of those functions. Kevin, one of the areas that we focus on historically has been career paths or the lack thereof of career paths, or if you go to the other side, the multiple career paths. Sure. Uh, we have uh, significantly different entry points, as you indicated, either from logistics or planning or procurement or from warehousing into the supply chain. But yet, historically, subject matter expertise used to be enough. Uh, if you were a functional expert, that was more than sufficient. And as you indicated before, predominantly finance and engineering professionals who migrated into supply chain. Now, with all the supply chain academic programs and given the skills that, you know, what companies are looking for right now, are there specific skill sets that you think that the supply chain professionals are going to be, you know, it's a necessary part of their, their demographic to even be considered right now. And if you would talk a little bit about the role of DEI, because historically, as you indicated, a lot of individuals coming out of engineering and finance, predominantly white males, uh, yeah. not as uh, diverse as we'd like to see within supply chain. Are there opportunities for DEI within supply chain? Yeah, it's an excellent, uh, it's an excellent point. And and yeah, I mean, we're seeing tremendous opportunities for DE&I for sure in supply chain. I think it's been a long time coming and, you know, rightfully so. I mean, it's, it's diversity of thought. It's, it's everything DE&I attributes itself to. With that said, we are starting to see a, a greater generation of um, diverse candidates in this mix. Tremendous value there. So I'm encouraged by that. 
for the future supply chain leader, it almost goes back, Abe, to what I outlined the CSCO could be like today and in the future. And and when I think about the CSCO, companies are realizing the supply chain can be a source of competitive advantage. Uh, They're pouring a lot of investment into supply chain. And I think we'll still see a demand uh, for this. And Yes, future leaders will be functionally deep, but they will also have cross-functional experience. So where diversity can come into play, and actually I have this coming on or playing out in real time today, is I have a head of supply chain search that I'm working on, private equity backed, and I'm not looking for the functional leader. I'm looking for someone who has spent time in sales, someone who's spent time in marketing, someone who's spent time in product development, because it's the sales and marketing skill sets that impact better planning organizations and better planning organizations can impact and further mitigate risk in case uh, you know a pandemic hits or you know a future supply chain issue comes about. So, I like that. We obviously see more diversity in sales, marketing. Um, you know, we're going to be doing our 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 job to try and get them over to into the supply chain function. But certainly, uh, we're encouraged about where this is going. Uh, the only thing else I would say is we're also starting to see a huge need for data and data analytics, operations research. This all blends itself into AI and machine learning. Um, we're seeing a tremendous demand in, 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 in those roles coming in as well. So I would encourage future supply chain leaders to get into the data, be hungry for the data, understand AI, understand machine learning. And that only sets this person up for really great success uh, to really pivot around supply chain, detailed analytics, scenario planning, corporate strategy. Um, so we're encouraged. We, uh, we think there's a, a several more exciting years ahead. Uh, as are we, Kevin. Um, we see a significant opportunity for supply chain professionals at almost every level within the organization. Thank you very much. This is all the time that we have today. A special thanks to our guest, uh, Kevin Burns, for sharing his perspectives and to you, our supply chain professionals. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you'll be back for our next episode. For The Rebound, I'm Abe Ashkenazi. And I'm Bob Troublecott. All the best, everyone. Thanks. The Rebound is a joint production of the Association for Supply Chain Management and Supply Chain Management Review. For more information, be sure to visit ASCM.org and STMR.com. We hope you'll join us again.